22 babies dedicated. Sheesh. Sheesh. COVID, man. Board games or something else. It's fine. I told him. Well done, guys. Very good. Today, we close off a series that we've been in uh, called The Lifestyle of Jesus. And just to uh, give you a heads up, if you're familiar with our community, you may not be, but we have this thing called the Journey Map. It's where we house all of our resources that we help, uh, hope would provoke spiritual growth. And I want to just lay before you as a community three resources that have really helped us as we've thought through this series, um, but specifically have helped me flesh out today's sermon. And so if there's parts of my sermon that you find helpful and would like to dig a little bit deeper, these are the three resources I want to lay before you. Um, the first one is um, Pete Scazzaro. If you do not know the name Pete Scazzaro, you got to know this guy, uh, pastor, uh, for decades out of New York, a kind, kind guy. He's written a number of books on being emotionally healthy and leadership in the church and spirituality. And he's got a great podcast with some really good content. Um, so definitely on your car ride and commutes to work, um, definitely check out um, Pete Scazzaro. And then funny enough, um, Pete actually handed off his church to uh, Rich Viotis. And Rich is a pastor and author who wrote a book called The Deeply Formed Life. Again, uh, another kind individual. They're out of Queens, New York. Uh, the church is New Life Fellowship Church, and I would definitely check out those two guys. And then you might remember a couple weeks back, uh, I, I mentioned this podcast, I wanna mention it again, uh, A Rule of Life by Practicing the Way, their team, um, John Mark Comer, and a number, another, number of other individuals. Uh, it's just a great, um, great podcast with a lot of content. So I wanna lay those before you. Uh, lifestyle of Jesus. This series has been about adopting the practices of Jesus to help us uh, navigate through the modern world. And what we've been looking at over the last several weeks and really over the last couple months is this idea that Jesus was not just the savior of the world, which he was, but he was also an incredible teacher. And what we find incredibly compelling is that Jesus spoke in the first century to a first century Jewish community. And what he spoke about, the things that he taught, were not just relevant for that century, for those people where things were a lot slower than today. Uh, there wasn't internet, there weren't fast cars, there wasn't uh, high skyscrapers. Everything there was much slower. And yet his teachings have rippled through history and they are still found to be relevant and necessary for us to navigate our life. What we've been looking at is this invitation that Jesus has offered to all of us. He says, I have come that you would have life and life to the full or an abundant life. Jesus, what was amazing about Jesus is that his life was hard. It wasn't easy. I don't know if you've read the book. It ends badly in his life before the resurrection, a crucified on the cross end of ministry moment. And yet, regardless of the hardship that he faced, the insults, the mockeries, the, the betrayals, everything that he experienced in this life, he navigated his life in such a way that it was light, it was full, it was filled with a peace that surpasses all understanding. And what's amazing is that Jesus offers you this same abundant life. He said, I've come not just so that I could demonstrate this life, but that I could give it away that you might experience it as well. And so if you'll recall, we've referenced this several weeks now, uh, Pastor John Mark Comer out of Portland, Oregon, he said it this way. He said, if you want the life of Jesus, the abundant life, then you must adopt the lifestyle of Jesus. And so we've been looking at what does the lifestyle of Jesus look like and specifically for our life. If, if Jesus stepped into Tyler's shoes, and he was married to Nicole, and he had uh, two little girls, one on the way in January, and he had our, come on, let's go, I'm gonna get baby dedication, baby dedication. 
if he had my life, how would he hold it? How would he operate as Tyler? That's the question. Not just WWJD, what would Jesus do? But if Jesus stepped into your life, I like how Dallas Willard says that we need to think about holding our lives as if he were me or he were we. If Jesus was you, how would he live his life? That's the big idea. Now, I don't know about you. This happens often for me in a series of messages. The more we preach in a general direction, eventually this inevitable thing happens where uh, it begins to reveal to me some areas of growth for Tyler. I don't know if you've noticed this or not, but it's sometimes you step into the scriptures, you begin to read the scriptures, and it's as if the, the scriptures begin to read you. They begin to say, hey, this is what, the, what Jesus would require. This is what it means to follow him. And then you begin to realize, oh, so I'm gonna have to change some things in my life. Anybody else has felt that in the series at all? So have you made some life changes in light of this? This turns out that the lifestyle of Jesus is not always intuitive to us. There's some things that are counterintuitive that we have to uh, adopt. And here, here's, here's mine. This was the thing that I realized pretty quickly. Um, Tyler likes to control things. That sounds so bad when I say it aloud in front of all my closest friends. Like, Tyler, Tyler likes to control. When you say, hey, Jesus wants to build your life with you, he wants you to build on a, on a solid foundation, you go, I'm gonna give you control, Jesus, of everything. He's awesome. What's in your hand? I'm like, don't worry about that. That's not important. You don't, probably don't even want that. You're probably not even needing that right now. I have found that there are things that I like to control. Are, are, I, am, I am a recovering control freak. I, there's some things that I just have to confess and go, I, I like this. Now, two confessions. If you're a control freak like I am in some ways, or if you're married to one, don't, don't look at your spouse right now. <laughs> it's like baby dedications, marriage counseling. These are the two things we're known for. Yeah. Uh, I have known this, about, I've, I found this about myself. Two confessions of a recovering control freak. Number one. I kind of like being a control freak. I know it's a bad name. I know it's kind of like, it's like, well, there's a lot of deficiencies. There's some pros to having a control freak in your life. Number one pro for, for me personally is you're always on time. You're, you're welcome. All the, all the control, yeah, amen. We know. So we now know which spouse is not and which spouse is fantastic. Quit saying amen, guys, if you're gonna reveal yourself. Uh, I, I, it, it's, it's like you gotta be 30 minutes to every, I, I, get, I get ready, I iron my clothes because I don't like wrinkles because I'm a controlling person and, and, and I get ready and I just sit on the couch and I wait for my girls to, to be with me. Uh, I'm just waiting for them to, to go. And, and, and I wanna get 30 minutes early to th- some things because first of all, you need out of the 30 minutes, 10 minutes just to deal with traffic in Atlanta. If you're not making 10 minutes for travel in Atlanta, you're the problem. Like... <laughs> Don't blame me as a control freak. You know good and well there will be traffic, there will be construction. Do not blame me about this. Number, number two, yeah, out of the 30 minutes, then another 10 minutes has to go to you grab your keys. That's when your daughter's like, I love you, daddy. I love you with an everlasting love. And she holds you and there's peanut butter now all on your pant leg. And you go, now I'm gonna go change my pants. And you're like, Tyler, it shouldn't take 10 minutes to change your pants. I gotta iron them because uh, I don't want the wrinkles. And then there's another, my uncle would always say, Tyler, if you're, if you're 10 minutes early, it means you're right on time. If you're right on time, you're 10 minutes late. You gotta have 30 minutes. So I like to control the time. Number two, a pro, another, just a pro for being control. You always have an Uber driver with you. Like, because I always have to drive the car. I can't be passenger. Anybody else like that? Like, it's not because I don't trust my wife. It's because I got this, like, this fear that I'm gonna get in the passenger seat. We're traveling to my family in North Carolina, eight hour drive. I'm gonna drive the whole thing. Because if I get in the passenger seat, I have that fear that I'm gonna doze off and I'm gonna wake up in the semi truck. That's when it's gonna come at me. Anybody? <laughs> I can't sleep, it's just the, I like to control. So it's nice to have a control freak in your life because they're gonna be your driver. It's like a, why do we need to control? Are there areas of your life that, that you feel like you have to hold on to? 
Why do, why do we need to control? Because here's the second confession of a, of a control freak. We hold worries, anxieties, insecurities, fears, and we tell ourselves, if I'm in control, those things that I fear won't come to pass. They're not gonna happen if I can just control a little bit more. With, with control, I can have the perfect problem-free life. Now, if it's your first Sunday here, you don't know this about me, it's gonna come to the shock as you, no matter how much I control, I'm not actually a perfect person. I don't know, my close friends who are here, they know this about me, but if you don't know me, this is gonna be a shock to you. Tyler's not perfect, is that crazy? <laughs> Boom! You're like, we knew that from the moment you walked on stage. <laughs> and my life is certainly anything but problem-free. No matter how much I control, it doesn't change the fact that life is not gonna be perfect and there will be storms and there will be problems. Because while there's a few pros to being a control freak, here's the big great con. When it comes to being a control freak, you can't control life at all. And so when you're trying to control, you can't, because here's, here's the con of being a control freak, you can't control life because life is unpredictable. Life is unpredictable. Have you, have you noticed this about the COVID years that we lived in? Have you noticed this about uh, the government shifting and changing, our economy shifting and changing? Has there been that relationship that was unpredictable? It just ended all of a sudden. You, you weren't ready for it, or perhaps uh, it, it was a, a season, a career, a ministry that you were part of, and now it's just, it's gone. It was unpredictable. You didn't see it coming. You can't control life because there's things in life that are unpredictable. And you can't control life because life's not only unpredictable, in many ways it's unreasonable. A proverb that has never been more true, when it rains, it pours. It's one thing if you're playing baseball, it's one thing to hit a curveball. Have you noticed that life never gives you one curveball? It's like six curveballs simultaneously and you got one bat. Life is unreasonable. You can't control what's unreasonable. You can't control not just what is unpredictable, unreasonable, but there's many things in our life that's unchangeable. Whether it's your past or your family of origin, there are many things that you can heal from in your past. There are many things that you can grow past, but the experiences that you've had in your past, they have shaped you in a number of different ways, for good, for bad, for ugly. There are things that have happened to you that you've experienced traumas in our lives, and there's nothing that we can do to change them. Can we heal from them? Can we grow past them? Absolutely, but there's things that we look at and we go, there's nothing I can do about that. You can't control life and build the perfect life through control because obviously life is uncontrollable. There are many people who are in seasons of life and many storms of life and you, just like the regular weather, you don't get to determine when it's time to be fall, when it's time to be winter, spring, summer. Some of you are just in a storm, you're like, I'm ready for it to end and yet that's something that is out of your control. So when it comes to life, what we see, what, what strikes me about this is the Bible never makes a claim that come to Jesus and you'll never have a problem-free and perfect life. When, when it comes to the Bible, in fact, the Bible, Jesus' followers and Jesus himself, they said everything but that, that in fact, they, they assumed that there was gonna be trouble. Check out some of these verses that come up. James says, it counted all joy, brothers, when you face trials of many kind. I, I, I hate the word in there, when. Count it all joy when you face troubles of many. Not if, when. Peter picks up on this in 1 Peter. He, he, he's teaching a message, and then he just says this throwaway statement. And, you know, and after you've suffered, say, hey, like following Jesus, here it is. And, then, and then, by the way, after you suffer, like he assumes a level of suffering, 
Or Paul, he says, I am content with weakness, with insults, with hardships, with persecution, with calamity. There's this assumed there's gonna be troubles. And then Jesus, the very man and teacher that we're studying, it was him who said, hey, you will have trouble in this life. What strikes me about this is that Jesus, he both said, I've come that you would have the abundant life and you'll have trouble in this life. And so right away we see that the abundant life is not a perfect life, it's something different. When we look at the lifestyle of Jesus, Jesus preached messages and then modeled out this message uh, of how to operate and live this life. In other words, Jesus is, the, the, what the Bible did claim is this, is that you can't control life, but you can control who you are to be in this life. And, and Jesus modeled this for us. We can't control the different circumstances and the different traumas that we've experienced and the things that we're going through right now in this moment. But regardless of the trauma that you might be facing right now in this moment, you do have the power to choose who you are gonna be because you are not enslaved. You are not a victim. As Greg preached last week about the law of liberty, you've been set free. You're not a victim. You're not a slave. Because the two uh, uh, elements of Jesus' message was, number one, repent. Everything that you think you know about life has to change. Change the way you think about how you see life. And the second element that he preached on was, and be born again. Be born not of this broken world and of the flesh that is given over to sin and is enslaved to sin, but rather be born again so that you might be awakened to the Spirit of God that causes you not to fix all the circumstances of your life, but rather, regardless of the season, whether it's winter or spring in your life right now, you don't have to be a slave or victim to the season. And so Jesus modeled this for us. He, he, he says this in, in Matthew. He says in the Sermon on the Mount, we've talked about this over this last month. He, he says, uh, love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you. And then he makes this statement about, about the storms of life. He says, when you, when you love your enemies, when you pray for those who persecute you, this is how you may know that you're a child of God or you're, you're children of your father in heaven. And he says this, he causes his son to rise on the evil and the good, and he sends the rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. Can I just tell you right now, if you're going through a storm of life, the Bible would say that's not some sort of evidence that God is punishing you in some way for something you did or didn't do. Storms of life are storms of life. He says, hey, life is gonna happen. That's not the promise of the gospel. The good news of the gospel is not come to Jesus and your life will be clean. The good news of the gospel is no matter how crazy your life is, you don't have to grab control of it because God is in control of the seasons and he will hold you fast and sustain you through it. And Jesus, while he's, he doesn't just preach this message, he lives it out. While he's on the cross, he's looking eye to eye with his enemy, those who have persecuted him, and he begins to pray, Father, forgive them. They have no idea what they're doing. The very ones that put him on the cross, he begins to pray for. In that moment, it says that he could have taken legions of angels to come pull him off the cross and do work on every person there. Anybody that mocked him, anybody a part of the mob, any of the Romans, he could have shut it all down. And instead in that moment of taking control, he gives up his spirit. He says, I don't have to control. Because just because I'm in a season of life that seems out of control, I have complete control of who I'm going to be.
and his disciple, uh, one of his disciples, Peter, he picks up on this. Peter gives an account after Jesus is uh, crucified and raised to life, and now the early church is springing up. Peter writes this book, 1 Peter, 2 Peter, it's a letter, and he says this. He says that they hurled insults at him, and he didn't take control. He just did what he had in control, which was himself. He said he did not retaliate. When he suffered out of control, he made no threats. Instead, what's, what's crazy about Jesus, this rabbi that we've been studying, instead of taking control, and he could have, it says that he entrusted, he entrusted himself to him who judges justly, his heavenly father. I know that many of us have faced injustice. We're going through it right now. And you don't have to take control. You don't have to dominate. And even that injustice doesn't have to be made right in this life. But I promise you this, there is a heavenly father who sees the injustice and he will make it right. Your job is not to control the situation and make sure that people get what's coming to them. Your job is to say, Father, I trust you. You're holding my life. So as we talk about following Jesus and we want the life of Jesus, I want that kind of power and control. I wanna be able to look at my circumstances and not be the recovering control freak, but to say, you know what, Jesus, I'm going to give all of my life to you. The question is not should we do this, but how? How do we do this? How do we learn to control ourselves when life is out of control? That's the question that I wanna go after today. You with me? And so in order to do that, we have to talk about this principle called a rule of life. In the fourth century, 313 AD, Christianity is legalized uh, in the then known world. Rome says, you know what? No longer persecution of those who are Christians. It's now an acceptable religion, one of the, the primary religions, no more persecution. And in that time, uh, the, in church history, there's this group of men and women that become known as the, um, the desert fathers and mothers. And these people were people who, who rejected the culture and they moved into the wilderness and they began to give their lives over to the spiritual practices that we've been talking about. Now, the reason they go into the wilderness and they walk out of their cities that they're in, like that Rome's been occupying, is because they notice something. I think it's, it's pretty profound in light of where we are as a, as a, a world right now is they noticed that when persecution stopped in the church, there was a level of apathy and casualness that stepped in and crept into the church. In other words, when you show up to a meeting like this before 313, it was, hey, just in case, if Romans come in, if the cops come in, they're gonna arrest everybody and we're probably not gonna see each other anymore. They're gonna kill people, they're gonna feed them to lions, they're gonna put them up on, on lampposts in the streets, light them on fire. It was not a good thing to be a Christian because if you were a Christian and someone found that out, if your neighbor reported you, they would put you to death in the arenas for the entertainment of the government, Rome. It was not, it was not an easy faith to follow. Following Jesus, it cost you significantly. Now there's a good thing that came when, when Christianity was legalized, there's something good that came about that, and that was the gospel began to spread throughout the, 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 the world. It began to spread all the more. But again, these, these desert fathers and mothers, what they noticed was 
that there was a casualness that came into the church because people began to marry culture and the kingdom. It was this, hey, this Christian thing, I'm gonna give it a try. So I'll, I'll give Jesus some of these areas of my life. I'm not gonna give him everything. I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna give generously, but I definitely want community. I'm not, gonna, I'm not gonna serve my enemy or pray for my enemy because that's really tough. I don't like that. But definitely the people that I like here, there's some great people here. I definitely wanna give this Christianity thing a try. Now, the reason I say all of that is because I don't believe that we as believers are to reject culture when culture makes it easier, acceptable for us to be Christians. I believe that we're called to engage culture. So I disagree with the desert fathers and mothers as to just, hey, we're, we're abandoning all of this, this kind of church and state thing. That's not what we're gonna do. We're gonna go be serious in the desert. I, I, I think you know we're gonna have a commune in, in Nor Norcross. We're working on that right now. Just all my Norcross people, shout out there. Uh, we, we got a community there. You can do it in Peachtree Corners too. It just won't be as cool. It's fine. Uh, no, you give it a 10, give it a try. I don't think we have to build a wall around Norcross or to separate ourselves from the culture and go, we're gonna be the desert fathers and mothers of the 21st century. I don't think that. But what was great about these people was that they began to put language to what it meant to be practically a Jesus follower. Things like silence and solitude, simplicity, what we talked about last month. This was a lot of what came from their lives. And they're the ones who came up with this idea of a rule of life. And when we talk about giving control to Jesus, when we talk about building our life with Jesus, I think you must understand this principle of a rule of life that they coined. Now, a rule of life it comes from a Latin word called regula. It means uh, a straight piece of wood. It's where we get the word regulation or ruler or, or the word trellis, like in a, in a vineyard that, that holds up vines in a vineyard. If you've, been a, if you've ever uh, done wine tasting, all those wooden planks and trellises, that's what a trellis is. And this word regula, a rule of life, comes from that. What it means is, is a trellis is a support structure that holds the vine. And first, first century disciples of Jesus would understand this language and this metaphor because in Genesis 1, creation begins in a garden. John 15, Jesus says, I am a vine. We talked about that a couple weeks ago. Uh, Paul picks this up in Galatians 5. He talks about the fruit of the Spirit. This was language that was common in the early church. And so this idea, this coined phrase, hey, we need to have a rule of life, was to say, because just like a vine is completely and totally out of control, we need a structure that holds our out of control life in place. It's a system or a set of values. And in a trellis, it lifts the vine up towards the sun. It guards it against the weeds and the predators of life. And it helps guide the vine that can twist and turn and be uncontrollable because it wants to bear optimal fruit. And just like uh, a vine grows out of control like life, we need a structure that holds us in place. How do we stay constant when life can so often be out of control? And this was the concept and the idea. Now, two things that I want us to notice is this, is that a rule of life, uh, number one, it's not rules of life. Uh, it's not a set of moral tasks. It's not a set of, uh, here's, here's several, here's 16 steps that you must follow in order to be a good Jesus follower, in order for fruit to be bearing out of your life. It's a rule of life. It's not moral tasks, but rather it's a system of values that holds your life in place. Now, here's what's super important. You, you have to understand this. Whether you're a Jesus follower, desert father and mother, none of that's important. You have to understand this. Everybody, everybody has a rule of life. If a rule of life is a system, or like a trellis, we can show, I, I made these slides, there's cool graphics. Go to that next slide. Oh, I used to do graphic design in the community college I came from. There it is, a trellis. 
a rule of life. If everybody has a rule of life, you might be here, Tyler, and you say, Tyler, I'm not a systems person. You hear that word systems, you're like Excel docs or uh, organizers and planners and, and calendars. You're like, Tyler, I'm not a control freak like you. I just, let, I just let it flow, you know what I mean? So your rule of life might look like this. Just throw up some, some of the vines. It might feel out of control. That wasn't the right time to say amen. No, it's <laughs> my friend Robbie, hanging loose. It's awesome. Your life might feel like this. And you go, oh, Todd, I don't have a system for my life. That's not, that's not what I do. I'm not a systems person. But I would argue everybody has a system or a routine, a routine of how they do life. I like how uh, Edward Deming says it this way. He, he talks about it in business, but it's true. Each system is perfectly designed to give you exactly what you are getting today. The way in which we live our life, everything from how we brush our teeth to when we go to bed and you say, Todd, I don't have a bedtime. I know you just, you go to bed at 8.30, you scroll through Instagram until you fall asleep. It could be 12.30, it could be 10.30, depending. That's a rule of life. You go, how do I go to bed? I go to bed when I want and I just drift off when, whenever it happens. That's a rule of life. It's a system for how you do things. And everybody has a system. If you're here today and your life is feeling out of control, what I would argue is that you need to have a stronger rule of life a system for how you hold your life, values that drive you, not rules, but values that stay constant and the same regardless of the season. A rule is something you follow today, but a value is something that you keep constant, whether it's in the winter season of life or whether it's in the springtime of life, they remain the same. And I love how Pete Scazzaro says it, uh, it, it through his podcast and some of his writing. He says this when it comes to uh, a, a rule of life. He says, nurturing a uh, Christian spirituality with depth, or growing spirituality with depth, rather, in our present-day culture will require a thoughtful, conscience, intentional plan for our spiritual lives. I love that word, thoughtful and intentional. This series has been about us, not just allowing life to take over and out of control spin, but to take a step back and to thoughtfully consider how you are building your life. To have an intentional, pl an intentional plan, no matter what comes tomorrow, I know who I'm going to be in that tomorrow in spite of the circumstances. And so we need, to, we need to build an intentional plan. So I, I wanna give us three things today, I got plenty of time, which is great, three things that to help us build an intentional life. Number one, we have to build a trellis. Specifically, you have to build your trellis. What does, whatever your life looks like, it requires you to take a step back and to say, okay, what are my value systems? Now, this series has led us to this moment. What we've been wanting to do in the last several weeks is to help build a structure of values, a trellis for us as a community and as a church. It doesn't mean that this is an exclusive list by any means, but we've been trying to build on top of week after week after week, a trellis that we would say, if Jesus were me, if he had my life, this is how he would operate. These are the values that he would live by because we can see it reflected in the messages that he preached and in the lifestyle that he modeled. And so this might be what the trellis would look like. If you can put up that next slide, a trellis looks like this. In week one, we talked about seeking first the kingdom of God. You cannot get through the gospels without Jesus or John the Baptist emphasizing this idea of you must repent and seek first the kingdom of God. In week two, Greg continued the conversation with being led by the spirit. Repent for the kingdom of God is 
coming and be led by the Spirit. These are two values that we must live by. And then in week three, I spoke about abiding in the vine, abiding in love, staying connected to God. And then last week, Greg spoke about these laws, the law of love, the law of the Spirit, the law of liberty. And then you'll see those arrows continue out because this is just a great beginning of a God-honoring, Jesus-following trellis, but it doesn't end here. You should have a trellis around community and church. You should have a trellis around generosity, around service, around how you would see the poor, about justice, about all the different areas of your life. There should be values that are set in place because life is out of control, like a vine that twists and turns. And the idea is not to control the vine, but to be able to take that vine in that life and say, no matter where life takes me, here's how I'm going to operate. That's why we need a rule of life. Now, you have to ask the question, who is in control of building your trellis? Do you wanna build your trellis? Or is just as we talked about a few weeks ago, build your life on a foundation with Jesus? Many people see those things and they go, yep, absolutely, that's the kind of trellis that I wanna have. But is it, we have to take a step back from our lives and go, okay, is that really how I'm building? Many people, they have a more worldly trellis and it looks something like this. It looks like seek first your political party. Be led by your emotion. Abide or connect into the current news affairs. Not a law of love, but a law of karma. If you do good, you get good. If you do bad, you're gonna get bad from me. Not a law of the spirit, but a law of the flesh. Not a law of liberty, but more importantly for some, a law of control and autonomy. Now you can build a trellis like this. You can have a trellis like this in place, but can, can I just point out to you, these things are ever changing. They're unreasonable, they're unpredictable, they're volatile, they're flimsy. And if you build your life around these kind of values, what's gonna happen is, is just like the fruit, uh, the fruit of the spirit produces a type of fruit, this kind of trellis will produce worry, anxiety, fear, insecurity, the very thing that we're trying to control our life around so that we don't have those things come to pass. I'm telling you, these values, it produces that kind of fruit. You can build your life with anything, but Jesus says, if you hear these words of mine and you put them into practice, you are building like a wise person. I love that word, practice. It's not about perfection. It's not about having it all together and every single day you just nail it. There's gonna be moments in life where weeds come up. There's gonna be moments where you've put some trellis that shouldn't belong there, but this is a practice with your heavenly father. As I was working on this message this, this week, I just got to this moment in the message and I realized how grateful I am to have spiritual fathers and mothers in my life and my own parents, my own biological parents, they, they helped me build my trellis. And, and, and so there's certain values that my dad's passed down to me about how, how to treat women, how to love the, the word of God, how to give your life into the church. And I just wanna, I wanna make a note of the fact, because this was just on my heart as I was meditating. Uh, I am grateful for those spiritual fathers, but there are many who have not had that. And so you can tell them, my, my life is out of control because I don't even know where to begin to build a trellis. Let me, this is to get you started on the trellis, but I just, wanna, I just wanna lay this before you. If you didn't have a father figure or mother figure in your life, for what it's worth as somebody who had some fathers and I wanna be a spiritual father to, to many one day, I, I just wanna lay this before you. When you screw up, how do you prevent this from being legalism? When you screw up, I want you to open your Bibles to Lamentations 
chapter 3, and I want you to read this verse. It's a verse that, that, that I, I read aloud every time I screw up my trellis. Because of the Lord's great love, we are not consumed. Just because you mess up, he's not rejected you. He's not throwing storms into your life to punish you because you messed up. He is with you in the practice. You are not consumed. I say this aloud often when I know, I mean, I'm not, I'm not the husband that I want to be. I'm not the father that I want to be. I'm not the pastor or the friend I want to be because I have those control moments in my life. But when that happens, you know what the beautiful thing is? I, I love this scripture. For his compassion never fails. His mercy for me, his love for me, it's new every morning. And so just as somebody who's had spiritual fathers speak into his life and help me build my trellis, I want you to know when you build the trellis and you got it exactly how you want and you screw it up and you put something on it that didn't belong and Jesus says, hey, give me control. And I go, yeah, you can have this, but not this. And you messed up. Just read this aloud. His mercy is new every morning. He has not called you to perfecting a list of rules and tasks. This is legalism and it's a false religion. Instead, he invites you into a practice and into relationship to work with you each and every day. So we need to build our trellis. And number two, to build this intentional plan, we build a trellis, build your trellis, and we need to plan the practice. Plan the practice. I love this, this quote from Rich Viotis in his, in his book, Deeply Formed Life, and he speaks to this idea uh, of a rule uh, of life. He says this, a rule of life, we have that slide? I see it here. If not, <laughs> it's worth it, I got it here. A rule of life is a way of intentionally ordering, I love this, our everyday, so that we love God and others and see every component of our lives as holy. I love that every day and every moment of our life is holy. When we look at our trellis, if we could zoom in and we take something like abiding as an example, if we took uh, abiding as an example, the question that we have to ask again is if Jesus had my life, what would abiding look like for me on Monday? Perhaps you have a spouse or you're a parent or you're single or an artist or an accountant. Perhaps you have a disability or right now you're going through an illness or a disease of some time. Again, something that you can't control. Perhaps you're wealthy or poor. Or you have a high school or college education. You're in the first world or you grew up in the third world. Perhaps your home is a really healthy and safe place or perhaps it's even a very toxic place. The question is not how can we control these elements of our lives? That's not how we abide, by controlling all the different elements, setting up our lives. Oh, now, now it's a perfect environment for abiding. The question is, is if Jesus had my life, how would he express this value of abiding and connecting? I wanna ask that of you. You can build with any type of materials your trellis, your set of values. But I would argue these, these six that we've given you in this series, they are strong, they are constant, and they are consistent, and it's not a carrot and a stick. It's not something that you, have, you can only do one day. The kingdom of God is here with you right here, right now. You can abide right now. If you're a single mom with five kids, if you're, if you're a college student and, and always up late studying, if you're, if you're an accountant, if you're a street cleaner, a garbage man, uh, whatever your role is, if you're, if you're a student, if you're, if you're in middle school or high school, college, if you're single, no matter what you are doing right now, no matter what season of life you are in, you don't have to control the season in order to have this beautiful thing called abiding. You can do it right here right now. So we want to build an intentional plan. We want to build your trellis. 
We want to plan a practice. And then finally, we want to choose the who. As I've said this morning, you can't control your life, but you absolutely can control who you are going to be in this life. And I love what Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount. He said this, uh, Matthew chapter five. I just want to read this to us. Just take a, a breath and let's just read this together. Now, when Jesus saw the crowds, he went up on a mountainside and he sat down. His disciples came to him and he began to teach them. And let's talk about the who. He says this, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek or the imposed upon, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And then listen to 11 and 12. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad because great is your reward in heaven. For in the same way, they persecuted the prophets who were before you. What I, was, I find interesting about this list is Jesus, by its nature, says, hey, let me tell you the kind of person you should be. And have you noticed that some of those elements, the type of people, the meek, the peacemakers, those who are mourning, by their very definition, Jesus says, I want you to be like these kind of people, but by their very definition, it puts you in a circumstance that's not gonna be comfortable. Some of you right now are mourning and grieving and in great loss, which means the circumstance and the, the way in which your life is, it's a winter season. But Jesus says, hey, blessed are those who mourn because they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek. It means to be imposed upon. It's not easy to be imposed upon, especially when you want control. Blessed are the peacemakers. You know what's funny about peacemakers is all they want is peace, but peacemakers, by their definition, are constantly in conflict, calming the situation. Jesus never says, hey, our job as Jesus followers is come to me and I'm gonna make all the circumstances perfect. Jesus says, we are in a broken and fallen world and I need people who are powerful and strong and can step into the problems and the storms of life. As Jesus followers, we're not trying to make life perfect or to be without persecution. We are assuming persecution. We are assuming troubles. We are assuming difficulty because the circumstances don't scare us. We don't have to control them because we know we're going to step in not in our own strength, in our own might, but by the Spirit of God. You can't control your life any more than a gardener can control a vine in which way it's gonna twist and turn. But you can control how you are going to structure your life and the kind of person you are going to be and who you choose to follow. And our argument for the last several weeks is choose to follow Jesus model his lifestyle, and I promise you, you will experience the abundant life. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for today. Thank you for your word. Lord, I pray for supernatural transformation. 
I pray that while we are following hard after you with great zeal, we recognize that this is a practice. It's not about getting it perfect. It's a matter of choosing how we are gonna build our life and who we are gonna follow. And we are going to follow after you a thousand percent. Are we gonna fall? Are we gonna trip? Are we gonna mess up? Absolutely. But your mercy, your compassion is great. Great is your faithfulness. Remind us of this as we put these thoughts and these words into action, into our everyday life. Don't just help us know the word of God, but help us to do it and execute it because this world needs believers who are not just reading the scriptures, but living them out. In Jesus' name, amen. The last thing we wanna leave with you, amen, thank you so much. The, the last thing we wanna leave with you though is we've, we've, I've created a PDF for us this week because I want you to take what we've talked about and I want you to put it into practice. So uh, with the QR code, you'll get those resources from Pete Scazzaro and Rich Viotis and the, the Rule of Life podcast, but we've also created a PDF with those three questions to help you practically build your trellis, plan your practices, and to choose who you are gonna be in the season of head. So check that out, but with that, I'm gonna hand it over to Armando to close us out.